Welcome, listeners, to the next chapter of Southern Grimoire. I'm your host, K.D. Burr. It's my favorite time of year, and Halloween is quickly approaching. In the spirit of the season, I thought it might be fun to discuss one of the topics that frightens me the most. Demons. It has always been an aspiration of mine to write a horror novel. One that would inspire fear, revulsion, and reoccurring nightmares in all who read it. When I was 22 years old, I threw myself into this project, researching and reading every scrap of material I could get my hands on. I wanted to write a story about demon possession, but from an angle that Hollywood blockbusters have yet to address. I had written an outline and completed several chapters when I managed to procure a couple of rare spellbooks to aid me in my research. I was very excited about these books because I thought they would make my story that much more authentic. It turns out that the purchase of these books was a mistake. I thought I had been careful. The reason I chose to write about demons is because they terrify me, and they terrify me because I believe that they're real. In light of this fact, I tried to be cautious in how I went about my research. The books I purchased were concerned with controlling demons and with sending them back to the underworld. I was careful not to read anything about summoning them or making a connection to them. I didn't want my dark curiosity to be confused with an invitation of any sort. And truthfully, the spellbooks were wonderfully interesting. But the moment I brought them into my home, things changed. At the time, I lived with my then-boyfriend and a roommate. After I purchased the books, my cats began to act strangely. Normally, they would spend most of their time in my room, and they would sleep in my bed every night, without exception. But after I brought the spellbooks into my home, my cats avoided my room entirely. Even my boyfriend found their behavior odd. They acted nervous when they passed by the open doorway, glancing furtively about and making a run for it just to cross the house. On one occasion, he picked up my fluffy orange cat and gently tossed him across the threshold into my room. With every hair standing on end, the cat hissed and yowled, fleeing the room in a panic. Both cats began to avoid that part of the house entirely. On several occasions, the three of us would smell something burning in the house. One particular night, we all awoke from a dead sleep the smell of smoke so strong that we were sure the house was on fire. We searched the place, from attic to basement, and found nothing. We even checked outside. No one was burning leaves or cooking out. No smoke could be seen billowing from any chimneys. But still, the acrid stench persisted, and it smelled the strongest in my room. One morning, I awoke at 6 a.m., as I regularly did, to shower. My boyfriend and roommate were still asleep, and it was still relatively dark outside. After my shower, I was alone in the bathroom, and arguably at my most vulnerable. I had just wiped the fog from the mirror, when a most peculiar sensation washed over me. I will never forget it, and my hair stands on end thinking about it now. It was like all of the air had been sucked from the room. It was a heavy feeling, 
like someone was pushing on my chest. I suddenly felt the very solid presence of someone standing directly next to me. I felt them there. I knew I was not alone. It was like some strange force of gravity was pulling me toward that spot, though I could see no one. My stomach felt like it had been dipped in ice, and my heart began to hammer in my chest. All of a sudden, something spoke to me. It was the deepest, most guttural sound I've ever heard in my life. No human possesses a voice as low as the sound that I heard. It spoke deliberately, in a strange cadence, in a language that I didn't understand. I was overcome with fear, so lightheaded that I was afraid I'd faint before I could run away. I began screaming and I ran as quickly as I could from the bathroom, waking everyone in the house. I was hysterical, and it took some time for my boyfriend and roommate to calm me enough that I could explain what had just happened. After I did, I no longer wanted to be in the house. I packed a bag and I stayed with a friend for a number of days, deeply affected by what I had experienced. You may recall, listeners, that at this point in my life, I was a videographer for a ghost hunting group based in Carthage, Missouri. I called them for advice, and two members immediately came to offer their help. They found a safe home for the spell books, burned sage throughout my house, and had a priest do a blessing. I never had any more experiences with a malevolent entity after that. While I still have the chapters and the outline that I wrote, I never resumed that project, and I haven't even opened the file since. Most people of faith will tell you that their belief in a higher power was cemented by some kind of miraculous occurrence, some kind of angelic intervention, or an immeasurable stroke of good luck. Mine was quite the opposite. It is undeniable that our universe is one of dualities, dark and light, good and evil, right and wrong. One cannot exist without the other. I know there is a remarkable power of light because I have met the darkness. Despite my own beliefs and notions about spirituality, it's important to note that the concept of demons are not tied to any particular faith. Demon lore predates Christianity as we know it, and malevolent non-human entities play a role in the majority of the world's cultures and religions. The ancient Babylonians, Egyptians, Romans, and Chinese all had their own complex demonologies. Clay tablets originating from ancient Mesopotamia contained detailed instructions of rituals and exercises to ward off demons. There are mentions of them from every time period, from every corner of the world. Succinctly put by researcher and author John Michael Greer, Demon encounters across every religion and culture stand out by their sheer weirdness alone. Medieval grimoires contain descriptions of unusual malevolent entities, appearing in the form of a wolf with a serpent's tail, or as a three-headed humanoid figure with the head of a man, a toad, and a cat. Kabbalistic traditions include the fearsome Zalatomyron, which appears as a pack of rabid crimson dogs, and the Behemiron, which takes the form of an enormous beast that's been crushed flat, 
crawling over the ground in a disjointed and unnerving fashion. Demon encounters are also notable by their typical behaviors, which can be divided into two categories, demonic oppression and demonic possession. Oppression is very similar to a haunting. A demonically oppressed person might feel an overwhelming sense of darkness or foreboding, or experience a feeling of being watched. They may find that items around their home have moved or disappeared altogether. They may hear strange rapping, scratching, knocking, or unexplained animal noises in their home. Sometimes, demonic oppression is a localized occurrence, attached to a dwelling or a parcel of land, particularly a place where a blood sacrifice has been made or black magic has been practiced. Other times, oppression may focus on a particular person. The afflicted person may become obsessed with a set of notions or beliefs that are contradictory to their ordinary nature. They may engage in increasingly self-destructive behavior and may report hearing voices or seeing shadows. Demonic possession is what we are more accustomed to hearing about in horror novels and scary movies. The Exorcist, The Rite, and The Exorcism of Emily Rose are some classic examples. The afflicted characters in these films experience insomnia, increased aggression, seizures and fits, contortion, inhuman strength, and catatonia. All of these are classic symptoms of a possessed person. Someone who is possessed may also exhibit a seemingly impossible change in facial features and voice, the knowledge of dead languages, and clairvoyance. In 1865, in Ilfrith, France, two young brothers were brought to their parish priest, Father Carl Bray. The brothers, named Theobald and Joseph Brunner, were ten and eight years old. Records kept by Father Bray detailed a frightening case of demonic possession. The young boys exhibited a violent aversion to prayer and blessings, screaming and becoming ill when in contact with members of the clergy. In the presence of Father Bray, the boys would physically contort themselves into intricate knots. They would arch their bodies, bend backwards, twist their necks and limbs at unnatural angles, and stand on their heads. No amount of strength applied by any number of men could force the boys back into a natural position, and they would remain contorted for hours. This was not the only frightening display Father Bray witnessed. The priest wrote, At times their bodies became bloated as if about to burst. When this happened, the boy would vomit, whereby yellow foam, feathers, and seaweed would come out of his mouth. No matter how often their shirts and outer clothing were changed, new feathers and seaweed would appear. Father Bray also wrote of the foul stench that constantly permeated the brothers' skin and hair, and the general unease their very presence inspired. Theobald Brunner also exhibited clairvoyance, accurately predicting the death of two neighbors, an elderly woman named Frau Miller and one Gregor Kungel. 
At the time of Mr. Kungel's death, his daughter was visiting the Brunner home. When Theobald yelled out his prediction, she called the boy a liar, saying her father was in perfect health and was at work. The boy laughed and replied that the man had just had a bad fall and dared her to go and check. True to his vision, Gregor Kungel had fallen from his scaffold and broken his neck. No one in Ilfirth knew of the fatal accident, and the man was only discovered because of Theobald's prediction. After this, the Brunner brothers were sent to St. Charles Orphanage near Strasbourg to undergo an exorcism. Father Strumpf assisted, and his records give us an idea of what happened there. His statements corroborate the anomalies Father Bray witnessed, and Strumpf was horrified by the strength and persistence of the entities residing in the boys, and in Theobald in particular. The brothers were exorcised repeatedly for over four years before being declared free of demons. Two years later, Theobald mysteriously died. He was only 16 years old. Joseph died when he was 25. In 1906, in South Africa, a 16-year-old girl named Clara Germana was taken to church by her concerned sisters. They had recently noticed a marked change in Clara's behavior, including a shortness of temper, foul language, and superhuman strength. Clara confessed to the parish priest, Father Erasmus Horner, that she had made a pact with the devil in exchange for glory and success. The young girl was visibly burned by holy water and became ill in the presence of religious relics, even if those relics were heavily concealed by robes or rolls of fabric. Clara, like young Theobald Brunner, exhibited extraordinary clairvoyant skills. She was able to detail Father Horner's recent journey from Africa to Rome and told him about places and experiences she would have no way of knowing about. When a young parishioner made fun of Clara and accused her of being a phony, she revealed scandalous and accurate details about his private life. Clara was also able to levitate, and no amount of force could bring her down. During periods of contortion, her body would change to a grotesque, snake-like creature. Her neck would visibly stretch and elongate, and her body moved fluidly as if it was made of rubber. Hissing and spitting, Clara violently bit one nun, and the bite mark bore the shape of pointed fangs entirely unlike Clara's natural teeth. After the church found Clara's possession to be credible, Father Horner, with the help of another priest, began the rites of exorcism. The rites lasted over two days, and Clara levitated in front of 170 witnesses, who were praying for her soul in the mission chapel. Though she was forever changed by her ordeal, by all accounts, Clara went on to lead a relatively normal life. Most magical theory involving demons is derived from Kabbalistic lore and Hebrew legend. These texts posit that demons are left over from an older world, 
that they have somehow, over time, become part of the fabric of our current universe. As Greer writes, demons are like stones from an ancient ruin that have been used in the structure of a new building. Demons and other malevolent non-human entities exist in a level of being beneath matter as humans experience it. According to Greer, our physical bodies are said to be like phantoms to demonic perception, while their bodies are on a level that we can't perceive at all, unless they choose to make themselves known to us. The connection between demons and humans is on an astral level, and it's because of this that our minds are the first point of attack when a demon attempts to gain a foothold in our realm. However, it's important to note that this fact is in our favor. Before demonic possession can occur, a link must be made between our consciousness and the demonic plane, and that link must be made from the human side. They simply cannot possess a human uninvited. They may cleverly employ flattery and seduction. They may threaten or frighten, but they cannot gain entry on their own. In this way, humans are more powerful than these dark emissaries of the underworld. If we remain of strong mind and of faithful heart, we cannot be defeated. This week's episode of Southern Grimoire has been brought to you by Cryptid Crate. If you enjoy the eerie, the paranormal, and the unexplained, check out Cryptid Crate, the first and only supernatural and cryptozoology-themed monthly subscription box. Follow them on Instagram at Cryptid Crate for more information. That's all for this chapter of the Grimoire. For more information on demons and strange entities, find me on Instagram at Southern Grimoire or follow my Facebook page. Until next time, listeners, always remember, there is no darkness that cannot be overcome by light.